If you can gather back together and open um, your Bibles at Psalm, Psalm 8, Psalm chapter 8. Brilliant. It's good. Yeah, and um, as uh, Pastor Jameson mentioned at the beginning of the service, we were praying about about today. Um, we just felt this, I guess, subtle but yet profound thing that that just throughout this day, and hopefully you felt it already, or prayerfully you felt it already, that God wants to, to speak to you today, yeah? To be honest, that should be our expectation, but often it kind of isn't, yeah, in our, in our daily life. Sometimes it is, sometimes it's not. But today, just throughout the whole day, just through conversations, hopefully through the worship, through the word mainly, in this sense, corporately, but through com- just God wants to speak, yeah. So for that, our part in that responsibility is to open our hearts, open our ears, switch on our listening ears open our spiritual eyes say God speak to me today because when God speaks things change God spoke creation into being when God speaks things happen and through his word today God is going to speak to our hearts to our lives to bring transformation okay so Psalm chapter 8 I want to encourage you if you if you have a Bible um, to, to leave it open in Psalm 8 we're going to be going from Psalm 8 and a bit into Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. So you can have these open, or if you're using a, a device, um, you can switch it on um, and uh, read along. We're going to be looking at how that we are created in God's image and to be his image. So to, created in his image and to be his image, looking at Psalm 8. Are we ready? Psalm 8. Okay. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? You have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands and you have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the fields and the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea. Whatever passes along the paths of the seas, O Lord, Our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Amen. And Psalm 8 really is a commanding vision of God's sovereign power over creation. It's also a realization of of humans' frailty in light of that, in light of God's power. Um, we, We realize a bit of our human frailty. But it's also 
God's sovereignty over his creative order and also our place as humanity as the pinnacle of God's created order. What value and dignity God places on you and me as humanity. And we're going to be looking at that together. It's also a hymn of praise where God's people would have recounted and celebrated the dignity that God places on them in the created order. And the Psalms, um, I love them. I don't read a lot of um, poetry um, other than scripture. I don't know if there's any poets out there or people who love poetry. Um, But I love reading the Psalms because when it's written in amazing poetic language, it draws us in, it stirs emotion to convey the reality of what God is wanting to communicate to us. So allow yourself this morning, that's okay to be drawn in emotionally. That's what happens when we read poetry. And when it's the word of God speaking to us, it brings that transformation. So here at Sammy, we're drawn into the reality of God's glorious, powerful creation, his sovereignty over the created order, which humanity is the pinnacle of, and then also the responsibility that he bestows or, or gives to us. Okay? I don't know if you think about that a lot in your day-to-day life, but that's what scripture teaches us through the whole story of God. That's what we're looking at this morning. Okay, let's jump in. Verse 1 of Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You've set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise because of the enemies to silence the foe and avenger. So the Psalm begins with God's name. Lord, or our Lord, as the psalmist puts that personal element to it. And the word Lord there is translated in our English Bibles as obviously Lord, as you'll see. In the original Hebrew, which the um, majority of the Old Testament is written in, it's the name Yahweh, which some may have heard of, or um, as we would maybe say now, Jehovah. And there's not enough time to go into that compound name and, and etc. But what we want to focus on this morning for the context of this psalm is what it demonstrates or what it shows is, is that God desires to be known. He desires to make himself known. In, in Old Testament times, God made himself known by revealing his name. In the Old Testament, over 68 Hundred times in Scripture and Old Testament, God reveals himself by his name, by Yahweh, Jehovah. And it's important, as I said, because we can sometimes view God, not all the time, but sometimes even subconsciously, or maybe conscious if you're sitting here today and and you know of God's existence, believe in God's existence, or maybe you're sitting here today and you know God personally, wherever you're at on that, that scale or that spectrum, God desires to be known. So if I stand up here and don't introduce myself, which I maybe haven't, apologies if you don't know me, um, that means you kind of know of me, you know I'm here, the reality is that I exist. The same as you know the reality 
that God exists, as in we look up and we get blinded by the sun and we see the stars and the moon and creation and like we know God exists, like you may know I'm here. But if I introduce myself and say, hi, my name's Gary, that brings that automatically just by me doing that means you know something about me. Yeah, you know my name. I can maybe say my middle name's Joseph after my, my granddad, my mum's dad. And I could tell you a bit about him. Um, and I could tell you my family name, Gibson. So say, hi, my name's Gary Joseph Gibson. Nice to meet you. What's your name? Is that personal? So here at the beginning, the psalmist is conveying Lord as God's name desiring to be known. Also what God's name reveals is it reveals his attributes, his character. It reveals who God is. Okay. And we could say God's holy. He's other than us. We can say God provides. We can say he's gracious. He's loving. He's good. He's merciful. We can point to the names of God. Here the, the psalmist is, is specifically pointing to, and this psalmist will read, is God's dignity or the, the, the dignity that God gives to mankind. So it reveals God's character in the sense that he wants to give mankind dignity and honor. Okay, so first of all, we see God revealing his name. In Romans 1 verse 20, when Paul is, I guess, writing a lot of the first parts of explaining the gospel in the moments to the original Jewish hearers, it's, he's basically saying that for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature has been clearly seen been understood from what has been made. So, so basically people are without excuse for seeing God's eternal attributes and God's eternal nature, I guess, simply by creation, also by our conscience and what's inside of us. We know that we are a real human being that makes decisions and has moral uh, compass and a conscience that's there and a spirit that connects with God. It reveals his character. So God... The psalmist is saying that God isn't some distant deity somewhere that, that is just there that spoke creation into being in and left us all to kind of find our own way. But God is a personal God who desires to be known. God desires to be known. He knows you and he desires for you to know him and for me to know him. It also, God's name reveals his power, that God is infinite and we are finite. He is creator, we are creature. It, it displays who God is, i.e. God is God and we simply aren't. God is God and we are not. It's a majestic name. How majestic is your name in all the earth? God is, or the psalmist is basically saying his name is majestic. It's a name where we stand in awe and wonder at. And it's very easy for us, what I've found through, through experiences, it's very easy for us to create a God in our own image. And this might need you to reflect on that for yourself, but, but often we can create a God in our own image. Yeah, not that's different from the God of Scripture how God has revealed himself. And the psalmist is saying here that God is so majestic, he's so other than us, that, that God forever remains um, 
uh, other than us in the sense that we can't control or manipulate God. Yeah, God's God, we're not. Some people refer that sometimes we can see God as like a vending machine, God. And that is obviously so distorted from the truth is that we go and stick our coin in and say, I want this God, and we expect to get it. That's us trying to manipulate God in our own image. And, And very subtly, we can create a God in our own image that is far from God revealed in Scripture or God revealed in Jesus. And as I said, the psalmist is conveying this, and it's the same for you and me here as 21st century followers of Jesus seeking to follow him with all that we are. We proclaim that Jesus is Lord. And if Jesus is Lord, that means no one else is. That was so countercultural um, when, when that was proclaimed when we read in, in, in the New Testament. And it's as countercultural now as it was then. When we're proclaiming that Jesus is Lord, we're proclaiming that no one else is. And we know we live in uh, New Testament times. We live in this era now where the Spirit's been poured out, the church has been established, and we are proclaiming that Jesus is Lord. This is God, Yahweh, revealing himself to us in the person of Jesus. God made man, God made flesh, God incarnate, coming to dwell here on earth. And what did he come to do? He came to redeem He came to restore. He came to renew. So if we want to have a good picture of God, we look to Jesus. Jesus, in other words, is perfect theology. Jesus is God's self-revelation to us. So we get to know God through scripture, revealed in scripture, and we get to know him through a personal relationship with Jesus. In Colossians 1.15, we hear and read that he, Jesus, the Son, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Amen. Amen. We could stop the sermon there and just worship God, couldn't we? We could just stop there and just be in awe of who he is. And I want to encourage you. If there's one thing you do in this life, get to know him. Get to know Jesus. He desires to be known. He desires to reveal himself to you. Okay, verses three and four shift focus slightly. Um, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, What is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. And here the psalmist in verses 3 and 4 has a sense of awe and wonder at God's creative power. When I look and consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've set in place, often we take Maybe you don't. Maybe you you, you love creation and, and looking in. I, I, don't, I don't study uh, the cosmos a lot. I don't study space a lot. Others do, even though they can't ever understand the complexities of it. They dedicate their life to studying how God has created this universe and how he sustains it. Amazing. Maybe you're, you're like that. I've, I've 
um, not, not necessarily intentionally every day thinking about that. But you know when you look at the heavens and the stars, just this week intentionally, we go for a walk at night and look up and see the beauty and the splendor and awe. And then the psalmist does this revelation. What is man that you're even mindful? Yet alone, the son of man, that you care for him. And I don't know if you've ever wondered, I certainly have that same thought at different seasons and points in your life. I don't know how significant or valued you feel right now. I don't know that. I know how significant or valued I might feel different situations in my life. I know my humanity and my, my inner self. It's important, like, I guess for, for you and for me, like, we, we sometimes wonder the value that we have or the significance that we have. Now, in essence, in one hand, that's okay because we're human and that's how God has made us, but we're made to find that significance and value in him. Often, we, we seek to find our value and significance in other things, okay, other than, than God. And I'm not a trained psychologist, but from what I, I know is that commonly accepted psychologists would say a lot of other things flow out of this, obviously. But as humans, we have three basic needs that we crave or we need in life to, to survive. That One is security, two is significance, another one is self-worth. So we will find ourselves traveling through life desiring security, desiring significance. We know life is significant, yeah, we know it. We can, we can feel it in our bones, yeah. We know life is significant, it counts. Of course it does, like we're going to read in this psalm and in Genesis. But often we seek that significance in other things other than in God. And when the psalm says, marvelous, God's created his art and beauty and power, I just want to just say one quick thing on this. One of the most important teachings in scripture is that God created all things. And we'll, we'll read on about being made in his image. But, you know, it's important that the church, you and me, proclaim that truth. Because if that's the reality, which it is, we can, we can see it. In a lot of sense, that's kind of common sense in one sense when you see the vastness of creation but we know that that's not always the reality of what the world would portray yeah and and all the noise that's out there with materialism and secularism and all the noise that's there the church needs to be proclaiming because if God created all things which he did then that is a game changer yeah because then everything starts and ends with God everything because everything we have and we see comes from him, therefore it belongs to him. Okay? God's God, we are not. And when culture is proclaiming something different, a distorted view of that, we need to be speaking louder about our creative, awesome, infinite God. Because everything came from him. And belongs to him. All glory is his, all honor is his. And that does cause us to say, what is man that you are mindful? But yet you should also even care for him. And this calls us to realize God's grace to us. 
God's grace. God's grace, unmerited favor that God gives us. Often we can think that things are our divine right. It's a divine right for this. It's a divine right for that. I'm owed this. I'm owed that. And in essence, that, that's okay. I'm, I'm not, I say that and feel that okay in our humanity. But we need to realize that even our very breath that we breathe is on loan from God. If God stopped being God, which don't worry, he's not going to be, he's eternal, that's who he is. Then like, we'd have nothing, yeah. Our very breath that we breathe and speak out is on loan from him. And that's what worship is. Worship is giving God his breath back. Yeah, knowing that it belongs to him, it came from him, it's been sustained by him. We worship him by giving him the honor and the glory and the praise. Our very breath belongs to him. Okay, verses five to eight. And that's us about uh, two thirds of the way through it. So you're doing well. Keep going. You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings. You crowned him with glory and honor. And you made him ruler over the works of your hands and put everything under his feet. All flocks and herds, all the beasts of the fields, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, all that swim in the paths of the seas. And the psalmist is declaring here that not only is God mindful and caring of man, but Sammy moves it on to say that we are crowned, we, humanity is crowned with glory and honor making them rulers over the works of your hands. So according to scripture, the meaning for humanity is clear. And by the way, this is what the world is striving for, isn't it? What is the meaning of life? Why am I here? What am I doing? I speak to my neighbors all the time. I say, how's your week going? Oh, I'm just working and sleeping. So working and sleeping, working and sleeping. That's all I'm doing. Another week, another day. And that's how we are often, isn't it? Because we're so, and that's okay. God has created us for, for work and for sleep and it's part of being human. So that's awesome. But surely there's more yet. Of course there's more. God has bestowed on us the highest possible honor within the created order. The psalmist is declaring that we are not weak. We are not insignificant. So you are not weak. You are not insignificant. God, by his free, because God is God, by his free and loving choice, this is God's plan. You are God's plan. We are God's plan. He has bestowed on us, he has made us the pinnacle of his creation by his free and by his loving, gracious choice. That's what God has done. That's what scripture teaches us. And for this, before we conclude, we need to go back to the beginning, the very beginning, to see us being made in the image of God. And in Genesis 1, the whole creation account moves towards the pinnacle 
the end where God created man in his image and in his likeness. We're still firmly in the position of um, God being God and we being humans, being totally dependent on his power, as all-powerful all and sovereign and good God. But yet, we humanity is set apart, uniquely created in God's image. Again, something our culture needs to hear, yeah, because that's a game changer of every aspect of life. Humanity is uniquely created in the image of God, set apart from the rest of creation by this distinctive relationship, i.e. we have God's breath. He breathes his breath into humanity. And he gives responsibility to humanity over his creation. Sammy echoes the creation account in Genesis 1. Put simply, first of all, to be human means to be made in the image and likeness of God. The Father who loves us out of his free and loving choice. So that means that there's no one in this room, no matter how you may feel, that God doesn't love infinitely, powerfully, that he doesn't deeply hold in the palm of his hand, doesn't see in the apple of his eye. He cares, he loves, he sustains, it's who he is. So Genesis 1 verse 26, I'm going to look at this briefly before we finish today. Genesis 1 verse 26, 27. Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and this is God. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all of earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And here in the creation's account, this gives complete resolve to what we see around about us, to what we see in life, to what we see on planet Earth. And to understand what that, that means, because if that's what God is saying, then that's a game changer, yeah? And I know a lot of people know this, but this is a reminder together of what God is speaking, what God has spoken through his, his word. We need to look quickly and briefly at the, at the meaning of the word image in the original Hebrew language. So this would have been written in the ancient Near East context, both the creation narrative in Genesis and also Sami. So we need to step in a brief moment to the culture of what this was written in what the original hearers would have been hearing at the time in order to understand what this means for us. And let us make man in our image and after our likeness. These two words, image and likeness. So if God has made us in his image and after his likeness, 
the original um, Hebrew terms and the original language have, have strong meaning that we were designed and made in his image for the purpose of representing God on earth. And as we know that the task of royalty in his wording implies us being God's royal representatives on earth, the task of royalty is to rule, yeah, to be his kingly representatives. And that's exactly the task that God gives humanity as he blesses them in Genesis where he says, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Or as we know, as Psalm 8 puts it, um, that he's crowned us with glory and honor and he made them ruler over the works of your hands. So not only are we, we come with the, the posture of humility that God has bestowed that on us, that comes responsibility. And it's not to rule in an absolute way, okay? That is a distorted view that sadly we see because of the fall, because of our sinful nature, because of disobedience, because God has made us with free will. He's made us with moral choices that we can make. That's the dignity he bestows on us as humans. We can choose. Um, and what Adam and Eve done was they, they, they chose to redefine what good and evil was in their own eyes and chose to disobey the voice of God. And we can see that played out in culture and society as we go. And God has called us as his people to love and honor and worship him and display that image to the world. But it's to use, I guess, that authority in a limited way under his kingship and under his rule and under his reign. Okay, so there's the clarity, there's the distinction. God has bestowed on us the highest honor to represent him in the world under his kingship, under his rule, under his reign, under his authority. That's why we come and gather together and we worship Jesus Christ, the King. It's under his reign and under his rule. But we have to realize that God has given us amazing dignity and amazing value and amazing honor. And although um, throughout also, throughout the, the Old Testament um, narratives and also in other um, literature of the time, the word image in the original Hebrew was primarily used to describe a statue. Okay, now this is important for us to understand also. So the people reading the original creation account in Genesis and in the Eastern culture of the day, they would have concluded that humanity was God's statues here on earth. So just emphasizing that element of God's representatives here on earth. And very similar understanding would have been um, in all of the um, idol worship of the pagan religions of the day, where the, all the polytheistic gods, the many gods, small g, and distorted view of, of, of a, a creative power, um, in the ancient world, every god, small g, would have a temple. And in that temple would be an idol or a, a statue of that god. Okay? And 
the pagan religions would, would, would worship a, a physical statue of that in small g God. So the original hearers of the, of the creation account would have understood that God, the uniqueness is that God doesn't need statues, physical statues. We read it in, in the Ten Commandments. Don't we in Exodus 20 verse 4, you shall not make for yourself an idol or statue or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on earth beneath in the water. So a distortion of that is idol worship. And we see that in the pagan religions of the ancient world. And we see that now in our, our culture where idols are raised up in place of God because we are, God has made us in his image to worship him. And a distortion of that is we turn to other gods and king. So the uniqueness, the reason that God doesn't need statues is because we are his living statues here on earth that contain his very breath. God has made us in his image and in his likeness. And we as humanity stand alone in God's created order. We contain his very breath. Now that church is a game changer for life to understand and to live this out. It must affect every aspect of who we are, our value, our significance, the intrinsic value that God puts in us that we are created distinct to have a relationship with Jesus. We're not merely servants of God, created for his benefit, but we are the very means through which God is to be revealed, mirrored, and known. We are his chosen royal representatives. And it's this Recognition that causes the psalmist to end where he began by proclaiming, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. What is man that you're mindful of him? What is man that you should care for him? God has bestowed and is the highest possible order, honor. And as we come under his rule and his reign, we mirror his image to the world. That's what scripture teaches us. We're made in his image and made in his likeness. So how should we respond to this? that were made in his image and his likeness. First, it is known that we are loved and have infinite value. And then we can respond to this love by valuing and seeking to know him. First of all, for many of us, it's known that we are loved, that we are created in his image and his likeness. God is a God of love who desires to know us. He desires to be known. And that's who God is 
And that love is extended beyond himself to us. Out of his free and loving choice, God desires to know us and to make himself known. Now we need to call something out, don't we? We've touched on it briefly. But we can feel so far removed from being in God's image. Yeah? We can often feel so far from that reality. And maybe that is where you're at this morning. It's true that because of sin, disobedience to God, that that brings a distortion of that image. And it may be very hard in humanity's current state, but not me, it is very hard in humanity's current state for the world to see God's image being mirrored in humanity. But God hasn't left us where we are. We can point to Emmanuel and God with us. God took on flesh. He came in the person of Jesus. He lived. Yeah, he taught some amazing moral teachings, which is still forms a basis of Western culture and how we live and how we are as people. It's amazing. But he came to die on a cross, crucified to redeem, to restore and renew the brokenness, the distortion of that image. And he was raised from the dead. He's glorified, raised up. And again, out of God's free and loving choice, he came to identify with that brokenness. And we have infinite value. So we know our infinite value. One, that God created us in his image. Gave us his breath. That's what sets us apart in the created order. And two, we know our value that he came. He came. We sang about it at Christmas. And we were here singing our songs, singing our carols. Proclaiming the virgin birth. Reclaiming his love, reclaiming his truth, his justice, his mercy, his kindness. God has revealed himself. That's how much he loves you. That's the value. If you ever want to see the value that God places in your life, you look at the cross. You look at Jesus. And everything there is to know about God has been revealed in the person of Jesus. So by seeking and getting to know Jesus, we are made anew into the image of God. Okay, by seeking, so by knowing that we're loved and valued by him, and therefore responding to that by seeking to know him, we are shaped and we are made anew into his image. That is spiritual formation, that is discipleship, that is Christianity. That is church. Being made anew in his image. Primarily through the word. Through hearing God's word. Through developing a relationship. Through prayer. Through worship. Through God's people. Through connect group. Through getting together. We are shaped and made anew into his image. So a reference point isn't the guilt and the shame and the stuff that we feel in our past. A reference point is Jesus. 
Our reference point is Jesus. We are made new in him alone. And lastly, before we pray, as God's living statutes, his royal representatives here on earth, we can display God. We can bear his image. We can mirror his image to a broken and hurting humanity. If there's ever a time where the world needs the church, it is now. If there's ever a time, Glasgow, Elam, where the world, where your neighbours and your families and those around us in culture needs the church, it is now. And in Jesus Christ, we have the remedy for broken humanity. Sinfulness and disobedience to God has brought about a poor, poor picture by which the world knows and understands God. But as the church... We are called out. Remember when, when Pastor Fraser was teaching on the, on the church and, and, and primarily it's the called out ones. The called out ones. We are redeemed people being redeemed by Jesus. Restored, getting fixed up. Getting healed, getting whole. And we are called out and powered by his spirit to take up our place in God's mission to redeem humanity. That's the story of God. That's the story of scripture. That's the hope that the world has. And as God's image in us, restored, we begin to reflect. Not overnight, bit by bit, getting there, reflecting God's image to the world.